Hey everybody, this is Mickey. Uh, yeah, it's, hi. <laughs> Feels like ages since I've done an advert. Uh, but I just wanted to talk about Zestcoin again. As you know, these guys have been sponsoring us for a while now, and that's for a good reason, actually, because I don't know. I really don't know if I should go into it, but Mike, uh, the basically one of the main guys over there uh, at Zest, he is uh, angel. Honestly, he's a diamond. Uh, I don't know how much. I don't know if he want me to tell you guys what he did, but but basically, um, we had an issue with another coin, uh, <coughs> <coughs> um, and uh, we we lost some money. There was a the the wallet fucked up and messed up. Sorry, excuse my French. And uh, yeah, they they sort of said it's your fault, um, which which basically it was. You know, we can't we can't deny that, uh, and we can't help to compensate you. And basically, Mike, um, you know, basically helped us out with a little bit of zest. Help, uh, there was like quite a few people in the pool. It was part of my trading group, and and Mike came to the rescue. So this is the kind of guys that you're that you're dealing with, um, Zest, but, um, anyway, it's, it's a small cap cryptocurrency backed by a great English team, uh, that we know well, they're building a decentralized currency, uh, Zest, that focuses on giving to non-profit and charitable organizations, there you go, we were charitable, I guess, <laughs> uh, so the network runs on proof of state protocol with masternodes built on top, uh, for added security and extra functionality, it's a great way to earn passive income, I think it's only, let me check Masternodes online at the moment. It's, um, right now it's going to cost you $476 for a Masternode. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And you're going to earn $800 a year. Um, so, I mean, that's not nothing, is it? $63 a month. Just, it, you double your money every year, basically, it's, or, or more. So, it's not bad at all. It's, it's not bad at all. Um, so they're just about to uh, get launched on an Asian exchange as well, uh, which continue to grow the community and push the project forward. Uh, you can find it on Cryptopia and Coin Exchange. Uh, if you have any questions, jump onto their Discord. Um, and the uh, website uh, URL for Zest is www. Do people still say that? www. Uh, Zestcoin.io. Z e s t c o i n dot io go and check them out people bye bye Welcome to This Strange Life. I'm Mickey, the conduit between the freaks and the geeks. And where is he? There's no Willie today. Absolutely no Willie. So I've asked James, uh, you might know him from a recent episode, James Newman, to, to come and fill in and be my 
partner in crime today. How are you doing, James? I'm doing very well, uh, Mickey. <laughs> it's weird, isn't glad, it? Glad to, glad to be filling in for Willie. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, Willie, if you're out there, get your ass back to Bangkok, please, mate. Oh, because, he's uh, down in Phuket, right? Yeah, he's down in Phuket, yeah. I don't know what the hell he's doing down there. Well, I do. He's, he's not stuck in a storm or anything like that. Well, I d- yeah. In fact, I, I don't know. I, th- I think uh, maybe so, maybe so. In fact, let's say that he's stuck in a storm because uh, that gives, that him, gives a him a good excuse. excuse. Yeah, not yeah. to come. Uh, so, um, yeah. So we've got a, a cool guest here with us today. Mr. Uh, Jim Algy yeah. is in the room. Jim Algy. Thank you. How are you doing, Jimmy? All right. Yeah, well, for three o'clock in the afternoon, battling a hangover, I'm surprisingly all right. Yes, yeah, so you've, so. you've turned up today with a huge coffee. Yeah, exactly. You do drink, though, right? That's oh. what, yeah, yeah, that'll come yeah. after. So Right, okay. And um, uh, we're lucky to have caught you, man, because you, you're out the door. You're right. going back. To, well, not yeah. you're, you're Canadian, but you're going yeah. to the U.S. soon. That's right. Yeah, I just got married uh, to a phenomenal California gal moving to the desert <laughs> uh, outside Tucson, Arizona. So yeah. as I was telling you earlier, you couldn't hope for a more bipolar opposite change yeah. from the tropics of Southeast Asia to the Southwest desert. You yeah. know? But and that's you, what I was looking for, too. You know, it's such an different, ex- man. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's such an extreme place. Like recently, for example, it's been snowing in Tucson and mm. down to like, you know, 18 degrees Fahrenheit at night. Really? Hot season, it gets up to about 110 degrees for a couple of months. And that's on the so Mexican border. Close, close, yeah. A couple border, of hours right? from the Mexican mm. border, yeah. A lot of UFO activity down there. I yeah, think, right? well, Roswell yeah. is just over in New Mexico, so yeah. I'm hoping to make some road trips over there, yeah. Oh, I'd love to do that. Yeah. Yeah, there's some weird shit going on down there. But that, that's think. after well, 26 or 27 years Thailand, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, this yeah. is going to be uh, traumatic for you. So, so what <laughs> year did you arrive in? Well, I arrived uh, late 92, so it was about five months after the whole Black May crisis, yeah. when all the protesters were yeah. shot on the streets just outside Democracy oh, Monument. Shit, yeah. you know, and they torched all the government buildings, a lottery office, so all the empty, burned-out shells of the buildings were still there, and cars, mm. everything, and... You know, but again, history repeats itself here so often. That was an uprising against a military-installed government. Mm. And, you know, the whole thing was, well, that'll never happen again. (laughs) Thailand's learned its lesson, yeah. And, uh, well, here we are again. We've got an election coming soon, though, right? Allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not get too political. They're they're, they're saying that the the, the vote counting is is, is so... uh, technically advanced now that you can give the results uh, 24 hours after the votes have been taken. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say 24 hours before. I, I, I think they could probably give it 24 hours before. <laughs> I read your mind. I, read, I knew you were going to say that. I read your mind. <laughs> yeah. But yes, we, we've not had an election yeah. for a while, have we? Yeah. We haven't, haven't had an election for six yeah. or seven years, right? That's right, yeah. Well, I remember the last one was washed out when Yingluck wanted to go back to the oh, polls. God, yeah. And there were so many protesters just blocking all of the different voting stations. So, But yeah, that's democracy mm. in Thailand for you. Not the nation, the famous online website that was a satire of, of the nation newspaper. They had the best quote about it. Thailand, world's oldest fledgling democracy. <laughs> I thought, oh, that sums it up pretty well, doesn't it? Yeah. 
So, so you're traveling back to the land of the free, yeah. the, the democratic. Well, yeah. I mean, also Arizona is, uh, you know, ground zero for the building of the wall. And so that's where a lot of the refugees are coming over. So, yeah, it's a weird time to be there. But at the same time, I think it's going to be very good for inspiring stories and just interviews yeah, huh? and everything. So I lived in Barcelona before I came to Bangkok for a couple of years and learned Spanish, más o menos. So I'd like to get back those skills and also yeah. start exploring yeah. Mexico and Latin America. That's much more uncharted territory for yeah. me and just finding new stuff to write about. So I spent a few months in Mexico. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Palenque and uh, Tulum and all that. It was, it was so cool. Yeah. Did some mushrooms in the... Uh, <laughs> In, in yeah. the rainforest, man, it was yeah. awesome. Met this old like hippie American dude, and he sold us some weed and mushrooms, and we we tripped in the jungle, man. It yeah. was it was out there. Yeah. Man. It was so cool. Oh, all the ruins too. You know, yeah, the Palenque, Mayan, the Mayan ruins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I loved all that shit back then. I, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm a bit jaded about it all now, but yeah, the Mayan calendar and all that. 2012, oh, I was ready oh, for yeah, it all to yeah. end. <laughs> Remember, yeah, the end of the world was yeah. nigh. At that point, yeah. Yeah, Y2K and then uh, 2012 and we just yeah. keep sailing past all these uh, all yeah. these fucking deadlines, don't we? So <laughs> what what year did you arrive in Thailand then? Well, that was the end of 92, so 92, just after right. Black oh, May. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. yeah, after that crisis. And uh, yeah, I mean, I started working in journalism for this newspaper called Thailand Times, who was basically yeah. hiring anyone who was a native speaker and... I had a degree in literature and creative writing, mm. so which just qualified me to collect welfare and read a lot of good books <laughs> on the dole. So, yeah. So this is my break to get into journalism here, you know, and they would yeah. hire anybody at the time. But most of the news was stolen from their other papers in the Bangkok Post. So the, the masthead of, of the newspaper said, the voice of today's generation, or as we used to call it, uh, Yesterday's news tomorrow. That mm. was like the tagline on it. You know? Yeah, right. Okay. But yeah, that's where all of us got our start, really. In but you also had yeah. uh, Farag magazine, right, Jim? Was, yeah. There was this little, uh, well, that's where I met Cameron Cooper and Bobby McBlain, my two partners. So when we started yeah. Farang Magazine, it's because we were sick of working for corporate papers and having to toe the line. So the idea was to create a travel magazine more based on Hunter S. Thompson and Gonzo, yeah. Gonzo like Jones, Fear and yeah. Loathing and Las Vegas. But get in, you know, the sexy stories, the drug stories, the crime stories, and just sort of different cultural backdrops, you know? So our best columnist was a convicted American heroin trafficker in Bangkwang Prison. Yeah. Who fellows. did a column called Letter. No, it was after him. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I've read that, guy, yeah, The Damage God, Done. Yeah, oh, that's that right. That's a cool book. Yeah. Man. Yeah, it's still probably yeah, the most sorry. famous prison memoir. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Garth just focused on a lot of more of the comedic aspects of it, you mm. know, like prison life, as opposed to Warren Fellows, you know, with the torture, the dark room, and, and all those, you know, sort of yeah. like that maggot burrowing Coming out of his neck, neck yeah. and everything, because a lot of that stuff had changed because of Warren Fellows' book. Oh, really? You know, it did have a really positive influence on it, so... Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, a lot of Garth's columns, you know, he talked about how the guards would come around to search all their lockers, and they're going through his locker one day and find all this green tea, and they're convinced it's marijuana, and they start rolling it up in spliffs and smoking it <laughs> to test it, and they all get violently ill. And, <laughs> and that was that was Garth. 
Garth's take on it, you know, and kind of ladyboy hookers in prison and uh, and his own stories of how he'd actually gotten arrested. And that, and, yeah. you know, we found out pretty early on that the prison authorities, the column was being smuggled out by his girlfriend, Susan Aldis, the so-called angel of Bang Kwong. And, you know, that she'd pass it to her just while I'd have little meetings, I'd write it all out by hand. And the prison authorities found out about it, but they thought it was such a great cautionary tale. They say, look, you young hipsters, you think it's cool to be doing drugs in mm. Thailand or to, you know, become a, you know, a drug trafficker? And let me tell you, it's not the glamorous life that you'd expect. So a lot of them, yeah, were kind of warnings to the backpackers. So the prison authorities let it go in the mm. end, you know. And uh, then, of course, yeah, he, he, every, every year in a Thai prison counts for four in America because they know what hard time it is. So he got after, after eight years, took Susan with him back to America, and he was working as a golf caddy because that was the only <laughs> job. He's a former rock and roll drummer. Awesome. Next thing I know, I get a message from him, and he's on the lam in Mexico because he's missed his probation hearing or something. And Yeah, he just sunk back into his old life again. Because yeah. the Thai prison system offers no reforms, education, exactly, nothing. Yeah. Well, yeah. They say, Jim, that you could tell a lot about a country by its prisons. <laughs> Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, nor- normally the worse the prison is, the, 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 yeah. the, the more uh, uh, difficult the uh, the country is. I, I, and, I and, just and, watched yeah. that movie about the Thai boxer, the, oh, the English oh, yeah, guy. Yeah. Prayer at Dawn. Yeah. Prayer at Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Was that, I didn't find it particularly a great movie. Really? <laughs> I like the yeah. camera work. Yeah. yeah. That shaky over the shoulder stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was almost, cool, Almost man. like the wrestler. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, uh, it but, is based on a memoir. I, I still haven't yeah. read it, but apparently it's all pretty yeah. much a true story. I don't know if the movie version was that much different. Mm. But. And the guy who um, I, I forget his name, but the, the guy whose uh, life story it was based on when yeah. the film came out, yeah. um, he went out and uh, reoffended <laughs> in Liverpool. <laughs> he yeah. burgled a house and yeah. got arrested yeah. and That's got right. put back yeah. in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit! Well, um, once a con. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, I, yeah. I've made mistakes in my life. I'm sure we all have. And but I, I had a, a, a telephone call from a friend who's been in prison uh, in Thailand for the last two years. Mm. Really? And um, some of the stories he tells me are just horrific. Are really, yeah. really scary. James, honestly, you've from got... in Thailand, you mean? Yeah, he was, was in yeah. Uh, he was in uh, a prison that's worse than Bang Kwang. Uh, Wow. Honestly, James, you've got a friend here now that's in prison in Thailand. Well, he's in Vietnam now. He's not allowed to come back to Thailand. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he but spent some time he in prison here. He spent two years uh, in prison here. Uh, so, you so had what these was it rooms, like? Uh, 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 built for 20 people to sleep in. Yeah. Uh, but there's 70 people in there. Yeah. Holy so shit. every night yeah. you're, you're totally rubbing against people. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're touching people all the time, mm. which is difficult. Um, they have fans. That was the thing I was worried about. Imagine if it didn't have fans it's be so in the hot, tropics. Man, it'd be sweaty really hot. Yeah. You're touching people and but hygiene. If you get, and, if you get oh. an infection or something on your leg, or you yeah. know, he said he was he was constantly sick. You know, he was constantly had infections. Yeah, and the hospital. Yeah, uh, there, there was a, a prison hospital, but they didn't help you. And where, where's he from? Where was, was really he from? Abusive. He's from Oxford. Yeah. So it's English. So yeah, do, yeah. do the do the embassy like come and help you and and do he shit? Had no for lines you? of communication. Um, no. So, so no one to give him uh, food. He didn't and contact me until he was out oh, uh, because he couldn't. 
Uh, well, you have to have somebody on the outside sending you money into your prison account yeah. to line up and buy cans of tuna and mama. Yeah, and That's the only way you can survive. So how did he and, get through it, James? Yeah. If he, do you, do you know? I mean, did he? Well, he did. He did the time, and he he. he uh, but he had no outside like help to to like buy him no, shit he and had cigarettes. No, uh, yeah. And I think that this would is have been tough we for him. Be aware of. I think we should be going to the prisons and offering. Something if if it's just yeah. like I'd a love to do that. Books, I'd love to do know. that. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, yeah. That's that's how I started going the to the female prisoners prison mm. to write about it with the help of Susan Aldis, the woman I told you about, the mm. angel of Bang Huang. And so, the chief of foreign affairs who took care of all the foreign inmates, you had to check in with him. And everything and it was quite loose back then. You know, they've changed it a lot now. You're supposed to be a relative. And that, but then Susan tells me, oh, you know that uh, congenial gentleman over there. I said, yeah, yeah, the chief of foreign affairs. He said, well, he's actually the chief executioner. Right? Chavarret. Yeah, right? the last <laughs> machine gun executioner. Oh, so we let's get into pretty, this. Yeah, I can't wait to get into this. We were pretty taken aback at first. And soon said, oh, no, he's a really nice guy. We'll invite you out Rock for and drinks dude. and whiskey. And yeah, so we started getting into it. it was me and Cameron Cooper, who when we started Farang Magazine, we're looking for other people to interview. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, a former rock and roll guitar player who toured all the GI bases. And mm-hmm. that's how he made his living, you know, and had learned English through listening to Elvis and nice. Hank Williams records and yeah. kept his acoustic guitar in the corner of the room would croon love me tender for us so we'd pass the guitar back and forth and jam on old <coughs> rock and roll tunes and surf instrumentals but when we finally started drinking with them then the stories came out you know yeah <coughs> excuse me so he he's one of He's he the last executioner in right. in Thailand, yeah. Yeah, because they abolished the well the machine gun. Uh, I think it was two thousand and three. They switched mm-hmm. over to lethal injection, and since then there's only been about three or four people executed. The last being about a year or two ago, because I thought right. there was finally going to be a moratorium mm-hmm. against the death penalty, you know. But uh, Chowered at the time, you know, was quite still. Uh, pro-death penalty. He'd always mm-hmm. use this old Thai expression, which is actually Chinese, uh, killing the chicken to scare the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're setting like kind of a, <clears throat> a role. But when he'd go into some of the cases, you know, one of two women that he executed, he told me, you know what the real story is? She killed an infant, gutted it, packed its body full of heroin, and then tried to carry it across the border into Malaysia. What? He said... What can we do with people like, like this is so far beyond the pale of human decency. Yeah, so, I know, would I would put my hand up for an execution yeah, in that case, I think. Right, right. So a lot of what he said did make sense on that yeah. level, but knowing the level of corruption and innocent people in Thai exactly. jails. You don't you always know? get it right, do you? That's yeah. the problem. Well, I used to have a police contact here. Let's put it this way. And he once told me off the record, but I'm not going to mention his name, and I think it's fair <laughs> enough. But yeah, <laughs> Go on, we'll it, beep it out. Yeah, no, no, no. He no. told me, Kun uh, Jim, uh, do you know how many of the people in Thai jails we think are innocent? I said, ah, 20, 25 or something. He said, 
no, maybe 60, 70. What? I was like, what? Yeah, I, mean, I was oh, blown man. away by it. So, I mean, of the... Do you think that's still the case well, now? A, a Thai court, so. yeah. court, Jim, is not a place where yeah. uh, innocence or guilt is decided. Yeah. It's yeah. Where, a place where uh, a sentence is handed yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's no, but, there's no court <laughs> transcript like in the West. There's no one keeping false. So <laughs> the judges just write down notes, and then often they'll change the judges for different hearings so yeah. they'll pass along their notes to them oh, and that's me. how they decide and, to and, yeah. and, and educate me as, as a Falang who, who, who knows nothing is the jurors do they have a jury like uh Members of the public who no, no. kangaroo no. court man yeah kangaroo oh, court. really yeah holy shit yeah. so once you're in once you're in court um, you're guilty yeah and you yeah. just have to um, accept well, just whatever sentence, sentence you get well just the yeah. fact they can photograph you at the police press conference and say what you're charged of but you know the whole yeah uh, get innocent you know before being presumed guilty that doesn't exist here and that just we laugh never, but we yeah. Yeah, uh, but, but yeah. yeah, that's one of the things I'll say in all my years in Thailand hasn't changed for the better even one little bit. Yeah, you know, it's still very much a third world injustice system. Yeah. And but at least, you know, uh is uh, retired, right? Chavaret is he's, he's yeah. retired now, right? So can, can you go into some of the sort of more crazier Excuse stories me. that he told you? I mean... Yeah, I mean, well, towards the end of his life, when, once he quit the prison, he was more regretful about it. And yeah, said, I'm sure. You know, he admitted, actually, that the death penalty hadn't stopped the crime rate from going yeah, up. I don't think it the, does, yeah. No. So when he sat down to write his first memoir, which is called The Last Execution, about 2004, 2005, that's a little bit more reserved, you know. Mm. But the whole centerpiece of that book is a full-scale riot in the prison where they'd all escaped and everything, and he was having to kind of hunt down a lot of the prisoners. Right. So he was he a went, bounty hunter at that point. Yeah. Yeah, so he went into a lot of those stories, but as James was saying, that other famous case that they put in the Last Executioner movie, which I don't know if that's in his book at all, but you were you saying the, the woman that they executed whose heart was on... I can't the, remember yeah. quite what she had done, Yeah, uh, but she, she, she had um, stolen a lot of money, I think, and she was quite poor, um, yeah. and it was upcountry. And they um, had to make a makeshift kind of uh, mm -hmm. um, execution. Uh, 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 yeah. And they tied her down to a chair and they put a screen behind her. Um, and the method then was a, a gun to the heart, a gunshot to the heart. So yeah. the executioner um, drew the gun and shot um, into her heart where he thought the heart would be on the left mm -hmm. side. Um, and she didn't die. Yeah. And he, he, uh, he fired another round. And she still didn't die. She was still yeah. screaming. <laughs> and it transpired she had this rare condition where yeah. her heart was on the other side of the body. Her heart was on the right side <laughs> rather than the left side. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I don't know what she had done. Yeah. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe she had killed a child or something yeah. like that. I think it was quite a bad crime. But yeah. So, so what methods but, did, did he yeah. use then? Was it gunshot to the... Is there no hanging? Is well, it that wasn't guns? a normal method. There's an upcountry up yeah. method. Normally right. you can shoot them in the right. head, right? Like in, well, in Bang Kwong prison, for example, uh, 
Well, the whole ritual, as he described it to me, they don't tell the prisoner before he's going to be executed. They would know because the death row inmates were kept in chains 24 yeah. hours a day in contravention of all those. You so know, they know something's up, yeah, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> but they would say, you know, there'd be an announcement, the prison's being locked down at 3 o'clock this afternoon instead of 4. That's when they knew. But <laughs> and the they're per- all looking at each other. But the other person was going to be executed. So they bring in the guards and, you know, Imagine these guys saying, oh, is it, is it me now? Yeah. And he's given no warning, no final meeting with his family or anything. Oh, they just come shit. in and grab the No guy. last meal. Well, he is taken for a last meal and then a blessing for, from a Buddhist monk. But Chowaret said the ritual for the execution team, they would go to pray at the spirit house before taking the man out mm. there and saying, you know, please forgive us for this. We're not doing it out of malice. We're just doing our duty. Yeah, so then when they'd lead him into the execution chamber, which bizarrely enough in Thai is called by Buddhist terms, the room to end all suffering. So they give it this nice euphemistic well, name. Yeah. Life is and suffering. Then, yeah. yeah. And then, but they kind of, the inmate is tied to a kind of wooden cross, but they put in his hands like uh, uh, flowers, like lotus leaves, incense, and a candle as if he's mm. going to pray. And uh, at a temple, and then tie his hands with the sacred white string that monks use yep, for blessing yep. ceremony. I know it, yeah, so yeah. he's tied, and then <clears throat> the executioner is behind him with uh, a, a nine millimeter gun that's bolted to the floor. And uh, after there's another man who has like a red flag up, and when he puts that down, then he fired about. He said, "When the time they walked into the room, I knew how many bullets it would take." You know, either they were still strong or they were weak and defiant. And he said, you know, he told me, you know, I've heard everything in there. People cursing me. The woman, I think, who gutted the the kid and uh, filled it full of heroin. She was screaming at him. I'm going to kill you in my next life. My ghost is coming back. You motherfucker. You're dead. Yeah, because karma, (laughs) right? Yeah. Some karmic issues. And uh, yeah, and then some people, you know, were really meek. And he figured, oh, this is like a two or three bullet job. (laughs) You know, the woman's probably going to take about seven or eight. Find you are the more bullet because you you're full of mm. testosterone. Uh, yeah. not, no, um, yeah. not testosterone. What is Endorphins it? Endorphins. Yeah. yeah. No, what, uh. What's the chemical when you? Mm. You know what? I think my I think my brain's going. Are you thinking of dopamine? No, yeah. no, the one that that like lets you escape from animals and you know when you get being attacked. Flight or fright. Yeah. Fight or flee mechanism. Come on, what, yeah. what is it? We yeah. we must know it. Uh, the, 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 but it is endorphins, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I thought, uh, I'm going to have to Google it. Adre- Adre- Adrenaline. Adrenaline. Yes. Adrenaline, That's right. the one, James. Right. Thank you so much. God, yeah. I think I'm going crazy. Yeah, the more but, adrenaline uh, you're pumped up with, I think yeah. the, the more it takes to kill you, right? Yeah. I think that's for sure. Yeah. But there was another case, too, with... Uh, one of the women who'd been accused of kidnapping a young boy and uh, you know, from a rich family and trying to uh, get the money from them, and when they, the money didn't come through, they ended up burying the kid alive. And so oh. her and her partner both got the death sentence. I think they were executed on the same day at different times. What happened to her was they'd taken her down from the cross, and they have the physician come up, and he has to check the heart. Heart's still beating. They've got to put her up again. Number two, a <laughs> couple more bills. Bring her down again. 
heart still beating. And then she starts kind of choking to death on her blood. And Chaura and the guards are going, wow, this is how the kid that she killed died choking oh, on yeah. dirt. This is, this some is payback, perfect right? karma. Yeah, yeah, but that's how ties tend to interpret all these yeah. things, you know? And then Don Linder actually had told me, the guy who wrote the screenplay for The Last Executioner, something that I didn't know, that some of the people saw The Executioner as kind of a figure of benevolence because he's sending off these poor tortured souls to their next reincarnation. Yeah. <clears throat> so he was doing them a favor and yeah. sparing them suffering. So, you know, again, it's a real a nice tie, way to look at it. tie take on it, you know. But mm. uh, when he finally passed away in 2012... I guess I'd written about him in the book Bizarre Thailand, Tales of Crime, Sex, and Black Magic. It's more of a nonfiction book than yeah. my other kind of sequel to that was kind of Asian horror and noir stories, fiction, Phantom Lover, and other thrilling tales of Thailand. That's still based very much on his real all life. All on Amazon. Oh, you can get them all on Amazon, right? Yeah. Jim. Yeah. Thanks for the plug, <laughs> dude. <laughs> And uh, But, you know, towards the end of his life, one of the strangest things was when he was on his deathbed with cancer, he kept having all these nightmares about the ghosts of all the people he'd oh, come sure to execute him yeah. and uh, terrorize him in the hospital. So uh, this was, I guess, after I'd finished writing those stories about a book, but Don Linder had heard about it. So when he's writing the screenplay for The Last Executioner, which came out uh, maybe five, six years ago, he included that. There is kind of a supernatural Yeah, well, well that would have been... It, it, I mean, if I was a story writer, which I'm not, yeah. but that would have been my beginning point of the movie, him being in hospital and him having these flashbacks to all the... Yes, and then you yeah. do the full circle. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, well, but Jim, when Jim, Jim, f- Jim I, I, it, yeah, C. Yeah, who I want to mention. Who's that? C. Yeah. Uui was a a, a, a serial killer uh, yeah. from Chinese origin that came to live in Bangkok and yeah. uh, was a tuk tuk driver in in Chinatown. And well, he's he, kind he of killed, a, at the time more killed. of a manual laborer. Yeah, like, he was kind of a. The ties are, <clears throat> When I finally did, started doing research on that story, his preserved corpses in the Forensic Museum yeah. over in, you know, I'd read a little teaser about it in Joe Cummings' Lonely Planet book where this museum houses the corpses of several uh, famous murderers, opening hours, nine to four. So what's the story? <laughs> you see his body, he's encapsulated yeah. in embalming fluids yeah. in the Forensic yeah. Museum. Stripped um, naked with the, the bullet hole still visible. <laughs> like, what I, I remember <laughs> really fascinating was uh, whilst you were writing um, uh, the collection of stories, yeah. um, mm. um, you wrote the story about Si'ui, and whilst you was writing it, um, some Chinese text... <sighs> appeared right. on the screen. Right. Do you remember this? We talked wow, about this. Yeah, that's right. I'm glad you remembered that, man, because that was seriously one of, inside the machine. one of the weirdest stories. So, well, ghost Inside the when Machine, I was that, writing, that's a cool yeah. uh, like novel type. Well, yeah, get this. When I was writing the final story, this is for the Phantom Lover collection, I was looking back at an earlier story that I'd written about him, another kind of short story journalism piece, and uh, just seeing if there's any bits I could cannibalize. Sorry, mm. cheap pun, but he was a <laughs> cannibalistic <laughs> <Yeah>. serial killer. <laughs> and uh, so I get about halfway through the story, and the writer in the story is at the forensic museum. And, you know, there's this whole uh, thinking he might be a psychic or be able to channel his spirit or something, yeah. you know. And uh, in the story, maybe it came off as a bit cheesy, but he does hear this kind of voice in his head, or he's not sure if there's this kind of air condition, or if it's just his own imagination. 
So when I get to this part in the story, the original English is gone, and it's Chinese characters in the what? middle of it. Uh, yes. uh, on the document. On, yeah, on, on the, the Word document on my computer. What he's saying to the guy, it appears all is Chinese characters. Then again, a couple of pages later, there's another bit where he's sort of channeling his spirit and everything and again. All Chinese characters, what? and I'm going, what the hell? Well, the hairs are standing up yeah. on my arms, and that's so. Crazy. Yeah, immediately my girlfriend at the time was like an IT person. I just immediately called her. I'm like, what is this? What she said, okay, send me the code. Send me the, calm down, calm down. Send me the code, and you know, I sent it over to her, and she couldn't work it out. Yeah. I sent it all these IT experts, and I was, so maybe it's a glitch in the file. But going Chinese characters, you didn't sort of fall asleep with your head on the keyboard. Yeah, like well, I mean, I could see. <laughs> Either like, like being gibberish in there or just, you know, yeah, punctuation Chinese, marks. Weird, yeah. But yeah, you're yeah. writing about a Chinese immigrant serial killer. Yeah. And in that same document, suddenly Chinese text appears. Oh. And there's yeah. no way to remove it. Did yeah. you translate it? Yeah. Well, that was the thing. I was trying to get yeah some other people I knew yeah. to translate it. And it didn't really quite make sense. Or they right. couldn't okay. really translate. I mean, it would have, been, of course, been more eerie if there was a mess. Yeah, yeah. It was like, fuck you, Jim. Yeah. I'm going to come and kill you. Stop writing this crap, you <laughs> vulture. You know? yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for you in hell, buddy. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, um, and by the way, it didn't happen like you said it happened. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. So, so tell me more yeah. about this serial killer then. Yeah. What? Si-ui. Si-ui, yeah. So he, he you, you said he was a Chinese soldier. Yeah, he'd been right. in the army. What, what, what era is this in Thailand? The Rape of Nanking, well, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was a bit after that. But, uh, well, when he was arrested in Thailand, it was the late 50s. And, okay. of course, he would have been sentenced to death, I guess, at Bangkwang yeah. Central Prison, where he was executed. But... He'd been a soldier fighting against the Japanese. There were so many atrocities on both sides of the battlefield. And the whole black magic ritual, you know, cutting out the enemy soldier's liver to take on their power, which goes back to the Angkor era. And even the Khmer Rouge did that. So I think he was so traumatized by that. And then coming here and being, you know, what they called in Thai slang a rickshaw chink. You know, or what they called human animals, or so many derogatory terms for mm. it. So he was way worse off coming to China after that. I think he was finally getting out of the battlefield, and here he is being abused in Chinatown, working all these shit jobs. And that was kind of the main uh, red light district of Bangkok at the time, yeah. the Green Lantern, and the right. opium dens were still there. So I found all those bits of kind of Chinatown history really fascinating mm. to put in the story because I'd done quite a bit of research about that but uh yeah he started ca- cannibalizing young boys and then um, young children yeah and then w- moved w- was on. there a sexual proponent no no no, no surprisingly not right. you know but uh you know trying to like reinterpret his actions and everything i i thought eh, it might be interesting to bring up more of a racism kind of angle about yeah. how the chinese were and he, he, he's just after revenge or vindication and still kind of traumatized by his war it, it was kind of post traumatic stress disorder i think for him yeah. uh, he was you know he was yeah. forced to do horrific things yeah uh, yeah during, um, during yeah. the same war i mean yeah. i mean war, not war to conflict. try and sort of excuse what he's done yeah. but i'm sure he went through some shit you know yeah. Well, I think that that was the motivation behind what he did. Um, mm. he, he was just he he was in one horrible situation, and he yeah. he came to Bangkok, and he he, he was a rickshaw driver, and yeah. he was really poor, yeah. and right. uh, he basically yeah. um, 
So how many people did he kill? Well, that's open to it's debate because, yeah, maybe nine or ten. But there were stories, you know, I'd interviewed the chief uh, chief forensic doctor at Siri Raj about him because he knew quite a few stories. He told me some of the battlefield stories and mm. uh, about they did autopsy on his brain after and they said that was normal. So they didn't think he was necessarily insane or, you know, had some weird swelling or mm-hmm. there was some other kind of mental disorder. But then I interviewed, there was a screenwriter who... Uh, I'd written a movie script about him, so I interviewed him too to get more of the backstories about mm. just what it was like for Chinese immigrants in that that whole area at the time. Yeah, um, and then a Thai friend of mine at the time told me when she grew up in the early '60s, so this was like a few years after he's executed cool. on the loose. Their parents would tell him, and this was common: "Don't stay out late at night. Come straight back after school, or the ghost of Siui is going to come and oh, eat shit. you." So it became folklore. So, yeah, he was like this bogeyman yeah. and legend that haunted Thailand, and it was part of it, you know, the story about separating the kind of myth and the man and trying to make him. Yeah. A more human sort of character, so at least you can understand a little bit more about what his motivations are and about that particular mm. period in Thai history. You know, because he's this kind of one-dimensional, almost Freddy Krueger type mm. in, in like a lot of the movies that have been done about yeah. him. Last one, I mean, not for a while, but yeah, probably the. So, late so 90s. I can go out and see a movie, can I? About so the, the story of Siui yeah. is uh, is in in the Phantom Lover and other tales. Mm. And so this is this is another one of your books. Jim. Yeah, that's a more fictionalized a of short stories. And the, uh, the Phantom Lover does that refer to the the Prakanong ghost? Well, the title story now actually refers to uh, some of these high sog or women. I used to interview a lot of models and mm. socialites and. That was kind of one of my jobs, you know, and a lot of them quite famous supermodels. I mean, no names, but expecting to go out and, you know, the usual cliches, well, she may be cute, but she's no Stephen Hawking, you know, and the kind of stuff. That <laughs> well, he can't I, have it say, all, I, I found him actually like very savvy, very switched on, very open minded, oftentimes educated abroad. And it's yeah. just a lot of Farang writers don't write about that aspect of Thai society, especially not from the female point of view because it's uh. very hard to get in there unless you're actually wealthy yourself or maybe uh, Justin Bieber, you know, some cute boy band guy. <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of privileged to get to know a lot of them. And another female friend had told me about her horrific abortion. And I was still banned in Thailand and women going to these back alley clinics, oh having these horrific experiences, you know. So that was actually kind of informed the, the title story, The Phantom Lover, and about the famous Thai baby ghost, the Kumantong. You'll often see this little guy on top of shrines and they get it, feed him red Fanta. Yeah. Yeah, for it's supposed to look so like So that's why blood. the red Fanta is, that's why they do that, right? The red drink. Yeah, yeah, it symbolizes Holy blood, shit. you know. But the Kumantong is famously made from uh, the fetus of a woman who's got an abortion and the black, ma- the black magician takes it and roasts it with all these herbs and recites spells and incantations mm. over it. So there was a famous uh, black magician from the 90s who'd been arrested after uh, doing probably about seven or eight of them and becoming this really famous uh, sorcerer at the time. So I was worried. Did, that- did, did they <clears throat> dig up a corpse? What's that? Of, of this. Yeah, I guess they would, yeah. But, no, because yeah. I, I, I mentioned when we met Jim earlier that I'd just listened to a Peter Jenks podcast and he, he was talking about mm. some pregnant 
Oh, some. Uh, anyway, they dug up this. This. Yeah. Uh, I'm on a tangent. Keep going. Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so at the time, I was working at the Nation newspaper. We were reporting on it a little bit, and he comes in for a press conference mm. there and uh, walks in looking like one of the Blues Brothers, black shade, an old black suit, a fedora, like you know, a 1940s gangster, awesome. right? And starts. <laughs> he sits down and says, "Yeah, I've just sold the movie rights to my story. I'm hoping for a role in it." And uh, it's about my better side. You know, I also practice white magic. And then he said, yeah, a political party has asked me to run for them. You know, I mean, how many other countries does a black magician get invited to become a mm. Paul? Because so many of his contacts were from the elite. They were the ones going to him for rituals, you know. Yeah. And then he was eventually busted again for allegedly selling like these kind of sex charms. He'd lure women over, lost their powers of seduction or older, said, well, if you sleep with me, then yeah, I'll, yeah, you can charms. bone nice. up on your seductive powers, you know. And So, yeah, he was just this kind of serial charlatan who's sort of disappeared from the news now. Sounds like but, my hero. You know, yeah. <laughs> But again, like a smart know, dude. where else but in bizarre Thailand do you meet yeah. these kind of characters who you know, are going to become movie stars and politicians and that, and are just yeah. these uh, outright scoundrels and charlatans, really. Mm. But in terms of like black, black magic and, and um, like the occult, the, a, a lot of the, the more, the sort of higher echelons in Thailand, they, they do... I think they do use magic, right? And yeah, yeah, the, and and they well, do have access to the to the best monks and the best yeah, kind of yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's a famous thing about Taksin Shinawatra, you know, like the when he his power was declining and all these protests against him. He went up to Surin Province. This is his front cover photo in the Bangkok Post. Mm. He's doing a, a ritual to walk under the belly of an elephant yeah. and then run it to restore yeah. his power. And this yeah. is the most powerful man in Thailand. Yeah. And that, But he also used to go to this temple, the Hindu god of darkness, Rahu, who supposedly causes eclipses. But he's like Satan in India, but a figure of benevolence here. And he went to his temple to play, to pray to him as well. You know, a prime minister invoking black magic yeah. deities. And uh, but the protesters who were at the time pro against uh, Sanam Luang, the female protesters were taking photos of him and rubbing him between their legs, you know, to put a curse on him. His <laughs> menstrual blood is is supposed to have you know women. Women menstruate are not supposed to go into temples, and it's you know, yeah. very dirty and everything. But yeah, I mean, you know, this is yeah the upper echelons of power and trying to depose this guy through black magic rituals. Yeah. Holy shit! So I think we're, we're almost halfway through, so we'll have a break. But but before we do, um, how many executions did Sh uh -huh. Shavaret? Am I pronouncing that right? Chaweret. Yeah, cha Chaweret, yeah. Chaweret. How, how many did he do? It was about you know? 55 over 55, 20 years. Right. Yeah. So I mean, you, a couple of years, right? Couple again, years. his line about it, I think I used this to close one article. I said, how do you feel about Thailand switching over to lethal injection? 
And he said, oh, I feel very good about it. It's more humane. And plus, I'm going to go down as the last executioner in Thai history. And he burst out laughing. <laughs> Notoriety. <laughs> so that was his kind of black sense of humor, which I guess is the only way you can deal with a job yeah. like that. But... Cool. All right, let's have a quick break. Hey, this is Mickey. How you doing, guys? Yeah, today's sponsor is MasterCoin. You might have heard us talking about masternodes on, here on uh, This Strange Life. Well, this project takes the technical dif- difficulties out of launching your own masternode. MasterCoin has a product called MasterPool that allows for easy, one-click masternode setup of a variety of masternode projects. ZestCoin, our other sponsor, being one of them, amongst many others. The team is Europe-based, really friendly, uh, they've got an active community and you can go and chat away with them there on Discord. Uh, there's loads of new features coming up like uh, MasterCoin, uh, sorry, with MasterCoin, like a web wallet, uh, decentralized exchange, uh, shared masternodes and more. So go and buy some now on Mercatox or Crypto Bridge. That's MasterCoin and their URL for anyone wishing to... Uh, to visit their website is uh, H. <laughs> H. No, you don't have to do that, dear. It's Mastercoin. M A S T E R C O I N dot O N E. Mastercoin dot one. Uh, go and check them out, guys. Uh, this is Mickey signing off. Hey, welcome back, people. Um, well, that. That first 35 minutes absolutely flew by, and that means that, obviously, we're having an awesome time. Uh, I loved it. Jim, I can't believe you're leaving. I was just saying to James while we were out of the room that I always meet these cool people just as they're, like, on their way out of Thailand. <laughs> it always seems to happen. Yeah. But uh, we'll be making future trips back. Yeah, uh, man, yeah. my wife and I work in wildlife conservation projects, so a lot of our work's still in Asia. So. <laughs> well, hit me up so when I, you come back. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy you a few beers. Definitely. No so, um, so, topical, because we're now in check-in. Uh, we're now on Soy 33 in Sukhumvit, if, uh, if anyone's interested. And um, you're writing a, a... Well, sorry, you you've... I think you produced already a documentary, a ghost documentary, which is about check-in in a former life. Do you, do you want to? Do you guys want to talk about that? The old check-in. The old check-in. Yeah, the infamous old Soy check-in. Five and seven. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe James knows more about the genesis uh, project because I can't quite remember who. I know Chris wanted to do some kind of documentary, and then he talked to Caprice, right? And then I, I think we. What the famous supermodel. Caprice, no, Caprice extraordinaire. Uh, but I, I think it came about. I was, I, I used to go to the Sunday uh, jazz session uh, check in between five and seven, mm. and uh, I walked in there one afternoon, and uh, uh, Chris Cato Smith, who's the, uh, you know, the, my uh, boss, yeah, yeah, the, the dude, yeah, he, he's, the, Love he's, him. he's the guy that hey, made Chris, all this stuff listening. happen, right? Yeah. Um, and he, he said that the bar was being closed down um, mm-hmm. and that uh, the developers were moving in. And uh, really, he wanted to document um, a, a, a venue that had been uh, important for tens of years. I mean, it had been uh, yeah, since the, the number 60s. one entertainment venue yeah. in, on TripAdvisor and stuff like that. And it had been there 
back in the day, Robin Williams used to drink there, and David Bowie, and uh, Bing uh, Crosby, Bob, yeah, Bob Hope. Bob Hope. Yeah. Um, it was a historic well, venue, and yeah. uh, <coughs> we had a lot of fun there. And he wanted to document the venue uh, with a film, and uh, um, he had ideas that the the place was haunted. Mm. Uh, there was a, a white lady that walked across the bar uh, every night. There was a uh, yeah. a, a toilet door rattler who used to rattle the, the, the doors in the, in, and so he put together this team um, uh, Caprice was a filmmaker there was an American producer as well who really loved this uh, idea of a ghost hunt documentary type style yeah. TV uh, and Jim Jim and myself were invited to kind of co-present this thing, I guess. We were, we were like the, uh, the, the yeah. presenters of this film. We were like be- <laughs> Beavis and Butthead of the paranormal. <laughs> I, like it. I could see that. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Uh, but the story, it didn't end up being about ghosts, did it, Jim? It yeah. ended up being about uh, a, a very passionate man, an entertainer, mm. Who was letting go of an, a yeah. venue that he was really attached yeah. to, and his. But I think it was also kind of the ghosts of Bangkok past. All yeah. this history that was, uh, the first Western nightclub. If you saw old photos of it, it's called the Copa, and it's surrounded out that Nanair just by rice fields, and it's the only really? bar at you. Yeah, you were going oh, out shit. of town. I'd love to see those photos. The party, so they could you know get away with more. Uh, yeah, illegality, shall so, we so, say. So this was police. Vietnam, like Vietnam era yeah. or before? Or? Before even, really? I guess early 60s. Yeah, but at uh, various times it was a brothel too. So there were mm. all these rooms where the women were living. I think some of the ghost stories might have been connected to the fact, mm. you know, a few of the bar girls had maybe died or OD'd or some of mm. the Johns too. So there was definitely kind of a haunted, twisted past to yeah. it, you know, that we ended up talking about a fair bit. I think in the movie, yeah. But but that's I, I hear that a lot about documentaries that that they think the documentary is going to be about a certain subject and then mm. a character or something will happen and then the documentary suddenly shifts focus onto and, and any something artistic, completely uh, different endeavor. And yeah. um, yeah. that way, you, you start out, you, you start out with a certain idea. Mm. This is what I'm going to do, and then you uh, it just develops the mushroom clouds and you end up going yeah. a different way. Yeah. Uh, and for anyone who knows Chris, he, he's a character. Man. Oh, he's, yeah, he's, oh, my God, he's great. He's such yeah. a monster. I mean, such a, I, I, I get to sort of spend sometimes eight or ten hours a day with yeah. him when I'm working. And he's you never he's never not got a story to tell yeah. about a certain situation. You know, he's no. like, oh, blah, 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 when blah, blah, blah happened in such yeah. and such a country in this year, in this decade. Oh, like... He yeah. never ceases to amaze me. He's a showman yeah. as well. Yeah. And we, 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 we saw that, didn't mm-hmm. we, in the, the final yeah. days of the check-in when the bar was closing uh, and he had all the bottles bottles of uh, alcohol behind the bar and he was kind of uh, yeah. like, Jim, Remember? you need to drink this. Jim, you yeah. need to drink this. We're making this film together. It was, like, it was yeah. very emotional. Yeah, mm. uh, for all of us, really. Because he but wanted, he had to get him. rid of all the remaining booze. So everybody who came down for those final few nights, just it was a free for all. <laughs> yeah, 
of alcohol. But I mean, the funny thing I remember about actually making is it, we didn't have a script to work from. So me and James, the bits we were hosting, we would just sit down like literally two minutes before the camera rolled and say, well, you know, kind of tag team each other and go, <laughs> OK, do you want to tell this bit about the history Then I'll cut in here mm-hmm. and, and everything? So it's very much done on the fly. And uh, yeah, I hope it captures the spontaneity of the moment rather than mm. looking like a complete shambles. It's a frame, Jim. You remember when we walked down Sukhumvit Road? And, uh, yeah. Oh, we, that's we, right. We did yeah. like 30 takes of yeah. that, right? Right. Just, just yeah. us talking, walking down the street yeah. and moving into the mm. That is the beginning and the end of the film. Oh, is it? Yeah, ah. that he frames it okay. uh, by, by, by those yeah. two sequences, which were really difficult to do. And I remember back in the day going to Sukhumvit, um, uh, uh, Lower lower Soys, um, that walking, mm. it's really busy, right? There's, there's, there's market stalls there, there's mm-hmm. people doing stuff, and that whole kind of section of the road just encapsulates Bangkok for me. You know, that, yeah. that, 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 uh, yeah, right. The street vendors yeah. and the prostitutes. But with, and the, yeah. yeah, but also with soy Arab there, a lot of black people. Yeah. It's just yeah. such yeah. a yeah. Nigerian pot within yeah. such a small yeah. area. Yeah. You know? But uh, what is the final title of the movie, or has that even been decided? Um, you know? if, if, if the wars could speak. Um, um, so. When, when we, I love that. That's a cool title, man. I love that. When we finally go back to the <coughs> bar. Mm hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Jim and I are walking down the street, and uh, uh, G- Jim says something about the bar, and I I just say, well, if the wars could speak, or if the wars could scream, uh, because there's a lot of stories in that old bar. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So is is are we going to see it? What's happening, guys? Well, we need to <laughs> we, we 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 need to raise money to uh, yeah. uh, have it <coughs> finally done. Well, yeah, we were just talking on the balcony about doing a GoFundMe campaign. We're thinking about Kickstarter. So here's the early uh, promo Patreon or something. Yeah. 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 You can do that, guys. And and we get a few listeners on this, so we'll help to promote it. And I'm sure there's a lot of um, sort of old expats in Bangkok who would like to see something like that. And they might want to chip in a few dollars. It was only only like a a couple of years ago that we shot it. Uh, But it is... uh, yeah, uh, it's important for a lot of people to hold like Bangkok vanishing. Yeah, um, yeah, like all those places we were talking about, cheap Charlie's, Hemingways, yeah. a lot of the traditional mm. markets here. You know, they're all disappearing. So this is actually yeah. a chance to really preserve an important part of yeah. Bangkok history. But, you know, it'll be interesting too to future historians or other documentary filmmakers. Or that. So it could mm. be kind of a valuable artifact. Yeah, you should too. maybe try the chambers of commerce. Some of the chambers of commerce. The you know go to some of those parties. Yeah. Not not that I would, but <laughs> you know, Amcham or yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, Ozcham or. I think the paranormal aspect of it might put them off, but uh, should yeah, we give probably, much, should yeah. we give much of that away? About yeah, come on. Chris had a really yeah, tell like us, the tell whole inspiration. Yeah, I mean, you were there at the time, weren't you, with Eric Nelson when he went down into the basement? So there's a hidden wall back oh, down this is there. Brilliant. 
And uh, his wife, his Thai wife and all his staff were saying, no, no, don't go down there. There's ghosts, you know, don't break down this wall mm. that, you know, had been put up there maybe 25 years ago and nobody had been down there. So it was like a secret chamber. And so Chris was decided to take down the wall and have this American photographer, Eric Nelson, follow him to kind of document wow. the journey. Right. And uh, were you there at that the, time? The white glove yeah. is, is what you're talking about. So, yeah, we, 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 I'm not sure if I was there that night, but um, yeah. there was a photograph that went, uh, went kind of viral on social media. And it was uh, uh, Chris Caddo-Smith walking down to this uh, door at the back of the club. Um, and there's this phantom hand, uh, which, which is white, uh, which wasn't his hand. Mm. It, it was a, um, I, I, I can't explain it. You know? Yeah, yeah, well, right. Some I anomaly mean, in the photograph, maybe. But Well, but the photographer it, couldn't explain it either. He mm. and he we, would, we tried to recreate yeah. it. And the photographer, couldn't. you know, was strictly, you know, atheistic that way. Doesn't believe in ghosts, anything. Mm. He couldn't explain it after, you know. <laughs> and the fact that Chris's shirt got torn Right? What? So he, yeah, when he came back up, you know, his shirt was uh, torn at the back, as if there was something. somebody like. Yeah. Holy yeah. So that was I the freakiest part. I love this shirt. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. He, he I mean, came. He sat down. And his his shirt was torn. Yeah. It was ripped open, um, and he had no explanation to why his shirt was ripped open. And then someone took a photograph, and we saw the photograph, and there was a white hand, uh, mysterious white hand, appeared from nowhere. Uh, at the exact area where his shirt was torn. Um, mm. Fucking hell. So yeah. th- this, this can I see this? Fo- is this photograph around somewhere? I'm sure I can find it, right? Is yeah, it, it's in the documentary, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it must be in the documentary yeah. Yeah. at some yeah. point, as a still, right? Yeah, th- that, that was kind of the germ of the idea for the, the whole yeah. documentary. Cool. It was yeah. a really, really bizarre <laughs> evening. Yeah, which is still totally unexplainable. And I think it's kind of the centerpiece of the movie, isn't it? Yeah. So he was saying that there was multiple ghosts in that place. Like, he, he'd seen multiple different weird shit, right, in, in uh, the bar. Not just, not, not, not just Chris as well. We, mm. we interviewed all the staff, and they all had stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. His uh, wife as well. The, the, the old Mamazan, uh, Mama Mama Noi, <laughs> who used to work there, um, after she died... Uh, I remember going to the bar and there was some guy walked into the bar and he ordered two drinks and he sat down at a table and uh, put the two drinks down and had a conversation with himself or it appeared he was having a conversation with himself. Um, and after he left, uh, one of the staff spoke to him and he said, oh, it's nice to see Mama Noy again. <laughs> what? <Yeah>. Seriously. <coughs> and he was just yeah. sat there on his own. He sat just... there on his own with two drinks. Yeah. And he was, it was obviously um, imagining. But yeah. was, was she this dead woman at this? Who just died? Right. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So there was. Um, she was the oldest employee who'd worked out there. It started out as a bar hostess, you mm. know. And she's the one who'd been the consort of, I think, Bob, Bob Hope, Bing Crosby. And when David Bowie played here in the 80s, he mysteriously disappeared with her for about a week after. Really? There were all these rumors <laughs> of him being up country sampling some of the local uh, smokables and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got in. There's a lot of pretty entertaining backstories, and some of the celebrity chit chat is in there. I can't as wait well. to see it. So how so. long? How long do you think the thing, the piece is going to be? 
uh, it's I, I've seen a rough cut of it. I, I went with the director and uh, I was uh, appointed as mm. post-production director. Right. Of this, uh, nice. And the version he has is is really watchable. It's really good. It needs uh, a couple of new yeah. uh, tweaks here mm. and there, but uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Mm. And uh, mm. we 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 just need to get together some money to finish it off. Yeah. Know, and put it out there. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's a story that needs to be told. I think it's a historic. I'm intrigued, man. And a really yeah. good cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll invest a couple hundred baht. <laughs> okay. So we got two dollars. Right? Right. Okay. okay yeah. Kickstarter. Four thousand eight hundred eighty to go. Okay. Cool. No, but let, let's get it going. So yeah, yeah we'll, we'll definitely. Well, I, I, like I was going to put this out tomorrow. I like the subject of ghosts. Yeah. Go on. Uh, yeah, but what what's the mo- what's your favorite ghost story, Jim? In- well, that would have oh, to be the most famous ghost, Marinac, who was supposedly lived around ghost. the Prakanong area back in the eighteen sixties, and uh, there's been about twenty odd movie versions of her story. Yeah. And uh, as it goes, her husband went off to war and left her with child, and uh, uh, finally comes back from the war, maybe like. Uh, but a year later, so back to their beautiful village, Prakinon, back then. There's a few of the mm. old canals right by the temple with the shrine. farmland back then, wasn't it? Farmland, yeah. yeah, these beautiful houses on stilts, rice paddies, and that's all really captured. And I think the best version, uh, Nang Nak from 1999, directed by Nanzi uh, Nimaboot, because I'd interviewed him and the main star who plays Maranak at the time. But, I mean, the most potent scene in that movie, and frankly, one of the most disturbing scenes I've ever seen in any horror movie, when he comes back, and she's very distant, everything, and he doesn't quite know why. And finally, when they're having sex for the first time on the floor of the house, there's flashbacks to her in the old style of giving birth, with kind of her hands tied above her, sitting on the floor, midwife beside her. And so then back to them having sex, back to her screaming in agony, back to beads of blood dripping through the floor on top of a water buffalo's head. Mm-hmm. Then you realize she's died in childbirth. He's having sex with a ghost and he doesn't know it. Uh, but it's this amazing kind of cycle of life in mm. Buddhism, life, death, rebirth in what is probably a 60-second scene. But mm. literally, you know, it's one of those scenes you see in a movie and it's kind of a collective breath withhold. And as mm. it ends, this kind of loud gasp, you know. But it's, <laughs> it's by far my favorite Thai movie of all time. And I think ranks up there with many, many Western What's the name of the movie? movie? That Sorry. version is called Nang Nak, which is mean Nang Mrs. Nak. Nak. That was her name, yeah, because Thai, okay. Thais didn't have surnames. But at the same time, it's kind of a love story, you know? And, I mean, there's a shrine dedicated to her, and you're thinking, but okay, she yeah. was a serial That's killer. That's right? Right, because afterwards, she, uh, people find Come out. in. It's all right. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Because afterwards, when people in the village start telling, want to tell her husband that she's a ghost, that she died in childbirth, she kills anyone who tries to uh, expose her secret. Right. Right. And that, but I think, you know, she's also kind of an archetypal Thai female character who's so jealous she comes back from the grave just so another yeah. woman won't get her husband. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, but when I first went up to the Nang Nak temple to research the story and everything, I, 
Yeah, these very friendly Thai guys agreed to show me around and tell me a bit about the legend. There's a part, most famous scene in the movie, I guess, and this is probably in all of them, when he finally knows that she's a ghost and he runs to the temple and all these monks are sitting chanting and praying together, all wrapped in with white spring. And uh, beads of water start falling on his head and he Ooh. looks up and there she is standing upside down on the temple roof. Oh, so it's, again, wow. another really freaky scene that I've never seen in any other horror movie. But when these Thai guys are showing me around the temple, they beckon me into this room, and there's kind of an indentation up there. And I said, that's where she did it. That's where... Like, yeah, so like a feat. A lot of, yeah, a lot of Thais still think that's a very, very literal story. Yeah. Know, I'm kind of... Just, I don't know why, but I'm envisioning the ring, you know, like that Japanese yeah. thing where the, yeah. she's, like, got the long black right. hair. I, I don't know. It's probably yeah. something different, but... Yeah. That, that's... That, yeah. That is weird. Yeah, that's a temple well well worth visiting. Now, people still bring, you know, there's an effigy of her with kind of gold leaf, but they bring toys for her unborn child <laughs> and makeup for her. And it's especially, and then they rub the trees outside for winning lottery numbers. But mm. it's especially popular with young Thai men who are going to face a military draft. Since her husband went off to war, they reckon, okay, I could come and pray to her. All women come for... And she'll save them from the draft. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, I love these little quirks about Thailand. They're such lovely people. I mean, the the belief in ghosts is uh, quite charming. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just so commonplace and a part of everyday life. And I think... Sometimes the only way you learn about that is by having a tight girlfriend or relationship. Yeah, but you but, know? but even and so, like uh, I was, I yeah. was just up country uh, last week with my wife, and we we get to this bend in the road up in Nongbuanak on Suan, and there's loads of spirit houses, mm-hmm. you know, like just thrown yeah. in 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 the yeah in the ditch, and I I know that something bad has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the for all the spirit houses just to be there, but she she just won't talk about it. She's the like spirit house graveyard. Yeah, um, there was one I saw recently in Mimburi, yeah. and it was just all these broken spirit houses. Yeah, thrown in this uh, mm. you know this vacant lot. And but I, but someone told me. Well, in fact, I heard from the Peter Jenkins interview as well that that it means that that piece of land there's something as bad has happened there, and it's quite yeah. often on the corner of a road yeah. where yeah. cars go off the. Right the road or something. Yeah, you'll and, often and see individual shrines there. And uh, mm. there's a particularly dangerous intersection out in Patam, uh, Patam Thani, just uh, mm. outside Bangkok, yeah. which is called uh, Yek Loi Soap. The intersection of a hundred corpses. There's been so yeah. many accidents. It's just loaded with spirit houses yeah. shrines all around that intersection. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so just getting back to what you said, yeah. it, uh, even though I've been with my wife now like f- four or five years it's she still won't open up to me about these kind of like weird yeah sort of spiritual ghostly shit it's like yeah. if, if she speaks about it then yeah. something right. bad will happen to exactly. her exactly you know? yeah that's that's the type of belief yeah. about it. so it's hard to get them to uh, open up about stuff like yeah. that you know but uh when I was living with my ex, she had to get up really early to go to work. And so every morning she'd see this old lady out there kind of sweeping up in the parking lot. And she hadn't noticed her before, but she was out there every morning. So for about four or five days, she walked over to the landlady and said, yeah, who is the old woman cleaning up? And she, the landlady just said, matter of factly, oh, you've seen her? 
Yes, she was killed in a motorcycle accident down the oh, soy no. a little while ago, but she still likes to tidy up and everything. And, you know, we have to do leave some offerings for her, offer her some good wishes, tell her to move on from this plane yeah. and everything. And all the ties apparently in the building had seen her. So there I was sneaking around the parking lot at 6 a.m. and Trying to get some never, photos. Never saw her once <laughs> at this point, you know. But for ties, it's just such a commonplace part. Mm of everyday life. I mean, I, I believe in ghosts and I want to see one, but yeah. I've never seen one. I'd love to see one. Yeah. I'd love yeah. it. Right. Have you guys, have you ever, have you got any ghost stories yourself? I saw one. Go on, um, go on. It was uh, about 10 years ago. We'd moved into a new house and we were on, uh, uh, we were in uh, uh, Soy 62 in Sugarbit. Uh, and we moved into Hugh's house, and the, the house had a gate going around it. Uh, so it's it kind of locked. Uh, the mm-hmm. perimeter was locked. And uh, I was sitting there with my, my, my girlfriend, and some guy approached the front door, and um, we thought it was a pizza guy because mm-hmm. he had a hat on. Mm-hmm. So we both stood up at the same time and walked towards the door to tell him that we hadn't ordered, ordered a pizza uh, yeah, but as soon as we walked up, the, this this character disappeared. He totally oh. disappeared, uh, uh, which, which I thought was strange. And then mm-hmm. I telephoned a Thai friend, a professor who used to uh, he was an exchange student. He, he uh, uh, was in New York for a while, and he was my buddy at the time. And I telephoned him, and he said, uh, "Do you have a spirit house?" in the property and I was like no we, we don't do that get um, one, get one. <laughs> quick um, have you offered anything he's like no we haven't uh, he said well probably what you just saw was uh, the, uh, the the pee van the, the, the ghost right. of the house had come right. to uh, yeah. instruct you to yeah. pay a little bit of respect yeah but it was interesting because it, it was had I had I've just seen it myself Mm. Uh, I would discredit it yeah. as, as like a trick of the light or something. Yeah, yeah, in fact, yeah. we, bo- we were both sitting there. We both saw it at the same time. We both stood up at the same time and went to talk to this guy. And he just fucking disappeared. Mm. Um, yeah. So can yeah, you, that, can that you still like in your in your sort of mind's eye kind of visualize see him? It? Yes. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and was he like? Was it like sort of an old like an old? Guy or someone no, who, who I, I some like years young. ago. I thought he was young with a hat, right. uh, but it was it was wow. a black shadow image. Um, so it could have been a trick of the light that we both saw at the mm. same time. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. that's quite possible. <clears throat> um, but the fact that we both stood up to talk to this dude—that yeah. uh, was, was freaky, man. When someone of, else confirms that, yeah. kind of, yeah. yeah. Jim, you, yeah. you you were here for um, when the the tragic tsunami yeah. struck right yeah i remember that very <sighs> well There's i mean that's bo- a shit story right boxing day 2004 and a couple of friends of mine had invited uh, us to go to lake toba in sumatra so you get up turn on cnn find out the epicenter is just near there yeah and that's where we were supposed mm. to be for christmas so i immediately mm. dashed off uh, an email to my friends down there and yeah, didn't hear back for a while, but they were safe as it turned out. But then I had to go down and do some stories. 
in the next couple H- of days. Who were you working for yeah, at the time? Uh, a couple of foreign newspapers yeah. as a correspondent. You know, they wanted people on the ground at mm-hmm. that time. And, uh, you know, two or three days into it at that point, there were still bodies littered all over the beaches, the smashed houses, cars, everything. Just some of the most surreal scenes, like elephants coming through the wreckage, but with body bags tied to their tusks because the elephants were like the bulldozers. They couldn't even get Mm. at the bodies, you know? And then like a lot of the bodies that have been washed out to sea, the fishermen with their long tail boats would tie ropes to them to bring them back in. So it was bad luck to put them on the actual boat itself. So they get to the pier and there'd just be a scrum of journalists pushing and shoving each other, trying to get the best shots that they Mm. could, you know? And, yeah, the media was one of the most horrific aspects of the tragedy. And just how many things they got wrong. There was a huge backlash against them. And uh, they were predicting these big pandemics. I interviewed the director of the Phuket Hospital. None of that happened. They had stories about fish being served in Phuket restaurants that had nibbled by corpses, had nibbled on corpses and that. That Mm. turned out to not be true. You know, but yeah, just the whole thing. I remember going to one of the big resorts there where Kowlak was the worst hit part, that long flat beach. And they got maybe seven, 8,000 casualties in Thailand. The majority were there. In the hotel swimming pool, there's a tiger shark doing laps. It would let it washed <laughs> up shit. into, you know. But at, at the same time, you know, as a journalist, you have to try and balance out these stories and focus on some of the positive aspects. And, I mean, there were just some incredible humanitarian efforts so was, that yeah. came out of it. You know, like this young yeah. British girl who's about 10 or 11 years old in the main beach at Phuket said to her mom, Oh, mom, I think the water is all washed out now and everything. And all these ties are running out and grabbing fish. And yeah. everything. She told her mom, you know, we just studied this in school. I think school, it's a yeah. tsunami. And so, so her mom went around alerting people on the beach, and this little girl ended up saving hundreds of lives. Holy shit. You know? And at the same time, you're hearing about people looting corpses. You know, there's one Thai police officer got. So it's kind of the best and worst of humanity. Yeah. I mean, these saw, situations will. That's true of yeah. any catastrophe like that, you know? So, Jim, did you meet a lot of. At that time, a lot of people who were searching for missing people, and I mean, I, I, I like it or not, I saw the Ewan McGregor movie. Yeah, uh, I can't remember yeah. what it was. It was pretty good, actually. Yeah, I, impossible. I think. Yeah, yeah that's right. I mean, yeah. I'm sure it was cheesy from you guys' point of view as filmmakers, but I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I thought it was a nice, yeah. nice movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but that. The the desperation that the that the lead character had in finding his kids and yeah. was that did that happen were, were people yeah. running around desperately trying to find their oh, kin yeah. and yeah. yeah they had big billboards up and flyers everywhere and kind so that of was a true with, with pictures and shit yeah. yeah yeah that was one of the most haunting aspects of it for me you know like. You're covering those kind of stories. People lose it in completely different ways. Oftentimes, it doesn't sink in for like months and months after. Mm. I knew one Canadian guy was working with a European woman who was volunteering and helping out. And uh, he finally said to her a couple of months after, there's still ongoing efforts. And they had that 
um, kind of open uh, burial ground. Well, they kept on uh, what Takuapa, Takuapa, that that little town with like five thousand bodies scattered out in the middle of this temple, and so people were going around trying to recognize them too. After bodies have been in the water for mm, three, you, can, and you can't even tell a lot of times they're male or female, Caucasian, Black, Asian. So I was walking around, you know, I volunteered there for a little bit, and I was helping one of these families look around. <laughs> With a loved one, and so we're kneeling down over this one body, and all of a sudden we hear this sort of, uh, uh, there's like sounds coming out of its mouth. Oh so I ran God. over to see the chief forensic doctor, Dr. Pontip, who is kind of the leader of that whole rescue operation. He just said, oh, when gases escape from a corpse, they often move past Holy the vocal shit. cords. And then we they had dry ice on all the bodies, so there's this ghostly mist floating up. And occasionally you see chickens coming in, pecking at them. And it was just a series of kind of horrific scenes. What, what was I the smell? I, I'm sorry uh, to ask, but well, this... Right. Yeah, yeah, it was that bad, was, right? Yeah, that was uh, yeah certainly one of the worst parts of it, you know. But uh, a friend of mine, this Aussie photographer... He was down there. I asked him finally. He was leaving after about three or four days. And I said, oh, why are you going? He said, ah, it's a smell. I said, really? The bodies? Mm. And he said, no, the journalists and the media. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah, I ended awesome. up. I mean, a lot of that stuff, these details, I'm telling yeah. you, I couldn't work into my journalism pieces. And I thought it would be great in a longer sort of novella. So finally I wrote that. It was about 30,000 words, but a whole retrospective on the tsunami that – also, flash forward to the fifth anniversary, the 15th, even a flash forward into the future, like people still being haunted by it. Because the journalists come for a week or 10 days. They do the usual stories. Yeah, they follow around some victims. There's an environmental angle about the coral destruction. There's a mm. business tourism angle. They have about four or five stories they do, then they're off. Mm. You know, and the main question is, how do the survivors the deal with the burden of guilt and also mm. the people who lost their loved ones there? Those questions went unanswered. So that's part of the reason I kept going back there and interviewing more people and just, uh, you know, learning about kind of the PTSD. I suppose, like in the case of that woman I just told you about, it's like four or five months after and she's been working tirelessly and my Canadian buddy, who again became kind of a character in that story, went up to her and said, you know, I'd just like to thank you and I admire you so much for holding it together, knowing what happened to your husband and your daughter. And she just looked at him and said, what are you talking about? My husband and daughter are missing. They're not dead. Mm. Went back to her room. He goes over two days later to knock at her door and her friends say, Oh, do you know what happened? Some idiot happened to mention her husband and daughter oh, to her. No. She's had a complete nervous breakdown oh. and had to go back to Europe. And this was like four or five months after. She still hadn't processed it. But the journalists, of course, who fly, the parachute journalists, the vultures were already flying off to the next earthquake mm. and everything. So they didn't... A lot of them from tabloids and yeah, shit. Yeah. yeah, but like I said, people lose it in different ways. For some people, it's quite immediate. You know, the most haunting scene for me when I was finally leaving after about four or five days and nonstop, you have to kind of turn off after you've seen so many bloated bodies and so many weeping widows and mm. everything. I'm walking through the airport. It's about midnight, exhausted, just by myself. And all over the airport are just photocopies 
of missing people and everything. And at this point, you know, it was probably about a week after. So you knew that most of these people were dead. Not coming just back, their bodies yeah. hadn't been found. And uh, yeah, one guy, I remember looking at posters and, you know, just trying to get a few notes, thinking of story ideas. And uh, yeah, this one guy had kind of a bad photocopy of his girlfriend and mentioned, you know, a little earring and a tattoo. God, having seen the bodies already, and I, well, that ain't, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen, you know, at this point. And then just this marker pen message at the, at the bottom. I love this woman. Please help. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was when I lost it anyway. So that didn't, again, that didn't come out in the journalism story, but that was one of the main parts of the novella, which yeah. is in the Phantom Lover collection. And that's so hopefully, I mean, it's hard to do justice to a tragedy. of 250,000 yeah. people lost their lives and mm. everything like that. But hopefully... It'll it's, it's unfathomable, isn't it, almost, yeah, the, the destruction? Unf- and you yeah, can't... Yeah, that's a good word to use, you yeah. know. And then since we had that tsunami lately, it was just in the news. Of course, you get all these other flashbacks. And then mm. remember Japan in 2011? Yeah, Fukushima, and yeah. Nuclear reactors and everything like that. So, mm. But yeah, I'd say that was probably the most difficult story I had to cover or to mm. write up. And it probably took, yeah, the book came out. 10 years after that mm. and finally kind of a summation so i was proud of that story with you know full warts and all but uh mm. man that that must have been a difficult time and i can't do do you what do you guys think about the future are, are we seeing more of these natural disasters or is it just better reported now more widely reported now because it seems to me that this shit's just happening a lot now floods and you know, and all, all this kind of stuff. I don't know. Oh, climate change, yeah. It, it's unpredictable. I mean, my, you know, as yeah. I said to you guys, I'm, I'm working on a book where my theory is that we, yeah. we uh, people like to uh, predict that uh, something terrible is going to happen in order mm. to uh, make money. Yeah, uh, I think that happens with, with again and again in history, James. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. with you on that. But, but I'm not sure. I think that's f- just me fear. being horribly cynical. No, no, I think fear peddling is, is one of the best ways to to grow business and to to get funding for mm. what you want. It's and one to of the base emotions, right? There's exactly, like yeah. Playing on people's fears, man. Fear is one. With journalism and with... Yeah, uh, that was H.P. That was Lovecraft's famous quote, you know, the legendary horror writer. Fear is the oldest and most powerful emotion of humankind. And you're right. I mean, remember SARS, remember bird flu? Yeah, and SARS, remember, yeah. yeah. yeah and the hole in the ozone these, layer. Yeah, yeah, these headlines, why <laughs> SARS is Ebola. way worse than bird flu. And the number of people who actually died in those was very, very small, really, comparatively yeah. speaking, you know? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah. there, there was a good kick against the system with, uh, with, with punkology, Jim, and, uh, <laughs> which leads us on nicely to uh, the night Joey Ramone died. Uh, so, so yeah. So, well, what so, was the inspiration, and uh, how did the book come about? Well, well before before we get into that, d- just we, just so people go, know that Jim. We're going to yeah. go to punkology. Yeah, is is so Jim is is a journalist. Um, uh, you got loads of credentials, and you you've been involved in, in music yeah. a lot, right? And you've interviewed some of the. I mean, we've just been sitting outside having oh, a cigarette, yes. and he's told me about the most amazing names you've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. yeah, that leads us on nicely, Jim. To right. uh, I mean, 
Yeah, I some spent, of the biggest people I've heard. Well, yeah, I spent about ten years playing in bands. Well, I guess the early punk era in about nineteen eighty till about nineteen. Uh, 91. I mean, the two most popular bands being the Asexuals, which is kind of a groundbreaking pop-punk Canadian band. Another group, Jerry Jerry and the Sons of Rhythm Orchestra. It was one of the first, I guess, cowpunk, psychobilly uh, bands in, in Canada. I guess my claim to fame was being dubbed by the Montreal Gazette the Keith Richards of the bass guitar, just for on-stage <laughs> antics and, well, other certain propensities. But uh, the funny thing, when I moved to Thailand after my music career split, after living in Spain for a couple of years, starting again as a writer, I mostly worked as a rock critic here for the nation. Mm. So in the glory days of the 90s, you know, you'd have the Beastie Boys, Sonic Youth and Foo Fighters on one bill. You know, the great wow. Britpop bands like Suede and people like Green Day. I saw Radiohead on their first tour shared a tuk-tuk with uh, Tom and one of, uh, was it Johnny Greenwood or his brother? Mm. I had to help them get back to their hotel room after the show and did an impromptu interview in the back. So, yeah, those were great times in Bangkok before the bot crashed in 98, all the bands Mm. coming here Mm. and everything. So great time to be a music critic as well. And, you know, and get to interview a lot of the stars. But some of them, I mean, I'd already met. You know, we'd played the Soundgarden, the late Chris Cornell, and uh, people like that. So when I was doing kind of the new edition of the book, out of the whole nonfiction section in the back, just some of my musical memoirs and reminiscences, but a lot about different musicians I either played with or interviewed. You know, Ice-T, Leonard Cohen, um, yeah, Chris Cornell, and uh, oh, William Reed, from the Jesus and Mary yeah. chain I mentioned to you earlier, who I got to meet because the old singer from the Asexuals had become the road manager. So when they were playing in Singapore in 2012, invited me down, got me into the show, sat me down at uh, the after party, you know, and he's sitting right next to me. The guy who wrote their darkest songs like Darklands, Nine Million Rainy Days, and was famously quite surly to the press and wasn't on Facebook, didn't have a website, hadn't given an interview in like, 20-odd years. What, what year was this? This is 2012. Oh. Yeah, and they just played a phenomenal show. So finally I leaned over in a break and just casually said, oh, William, yeah, are you still living in L.A.? you back in the U.K.? He looks at me in his heavy Scottish eye says, no, I'm living in Bangkok. <laughs> I said, really? So am I. Where are you? In Bangsu, you know, like one neighborhood away from where I was. And so, you know, quite apart from his sort of dark, sullen image, really funny guy, mm. very hospitable, did the most bang-on impersonation of a Filipino accent I'd ever heard. His <laughs> wife was half Filipino, and that was very forthcoming about asking him what he did in Bangkok. Oh, yeah, with my family, smoke shitloads of weed and play me guitar. And that. So it turned out to be a great encounter, you know. <coughs> a lot of the rock stars, I think, people have a lot of romantic illusions about them or buy into the image. And when you meet them either backstage or otherwise, you find out they're very, very different people, you know. Mm. A lot of it is well, a stage. Well, the people, I think that, yeah. that's the thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a lot of it's just a stage persona or it's how yeah. they get portrayed in the media, you know. So I think, you know, that book, it's a little bit more of an insider's perspective. So I think What's a lot it called? Of the Night? On the Night Joey Ramon died, died. Tales of Rock and Punk from Bangkok, New York, Cambodia, and Norway. 
But I wanted to write it more from a musician's point of view rather than a critic or Mm. maybe someone who's a casual fan and just take people inside the recording studio. What's it like recording an album? What's it like writing songs? Mm. What's it like practicing by yourself? What's it like dealing with your bandmates and all the ego rivalries and all the bullshit that tears bands apart in the end, you know? So I hope anyways it's a little bit more of an insider's look from a from a you know, more experienced perspective, someone who's mm-hmm. been both a musician and a rock critic. So it is kind of a combination of memoir, rock journalism, history of punk, the Ramones, the Clash. Well, we should get jam. into Jim about uh, punkology, because we often yeah. discuss this. And uh, Where, where, where yeah. did punk originate from? Because uh, we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. And there is like <clears> the, the Stooges, the New York Dolls, and they yeah. kind of got politicised by uh, bands like... Uh, uh, mm. Sex Pistols and stuff yeah. in the UK. Mm. So, right, it, is punk a uh, musical movement or a, a, a political movement? I think it's a, or mu- a bit of both. Musical movement, first and foremost. You know, and I'd always give the Ramones a credit for that because they were around 1974. And, mm. You know, the Sex Pistols and the Clash. And again, this is there's another history of punk nonfiction story in the book. But when the Ramones went over to play in 1976, they had the Clash, the Sex Pistols. Everybody out there who started a band was at that show. So it helped to kick off. And Captain Sensible from The Damned, who I interviewed by phone, said, yeah, that show crystallized the whole New York scene. But, you know, the Ramones also, Arturo Vega in the documentary, about them. He was the guy who designed the famous logo that they used and said, uh, you know, because they looked like this street gang from New York. Johnny Rotten was out backstage asking if he could go back and saying, but they aren't going to beat me up, are they? They're like these uh, street (laughs) gang guys from New York and everything. And the Clash uh, couldn't get into the show because it was sold out. So they threw rocks up at the backstage window and they formed this kind of human ladder to lift uh, Joe Strummer, Paul Simon, and the rest of the band backstage, you know? And then... uh, yeah, Paul Simon, and for the basis for the Clash, related a funny incident. He goes over to Johnny Ramone and says, yeah, well, we all got bands now, but we're a bit shy about playing because we were kind of musically incompetent. Johnny said, listen to us, we stink. Get the fuck out there and play. <laughs> <laughs> that, to me, was kind of the punk ethos in a, yeah. in a nutshell, you know, if you had to sum it up mm. in some ways, you know. But in a way at the time, I'm in the context of prog rock, 20-minute songs about wizards and demons yeah. and yeah, stuff that had nothing to do with life on the streets, whereas the Ramon songs, Now I Want to Sniff Some Glue, Beat on the Brat. I was taking rock and roll back to the streets where it belongs. Three chord songs, two minutes, you know, three verses, three choruses, no guitar mm. solos, no fancy prog rock stuff. Mm. So that was, you know, it was kind of a back to basics, back to the origins of rock and roll, rather than something truly radical. Yeah. But you're right, Psychotherapy, <laughs> psychotherapy. Yeah. Oh, fucking love But you're right, though, about the other influences like the New York Dolls and the Stooges and uh, the, the Velvet Underground. You know, in the Ramones movie, End of the Century, there's a, funny moment where they're asking Didi, well, how did you meet the rest of the guys in the band? And he said, uh, well, somebody came up to me in the hallway and said, whispered to him, I hear you like the Stooges. And Didi mm. said, yeah, I like the Stooges. He said, okay, we got a tape, you know. And he said, there were only four of us in our high school who liked the Stooges. 
It was me, Joey, Johnny, and Tommy. Everyone mm. else was violently opposed to them. So that's kind of how they bonded. Got so together. do you think Iggy so might might be the the first punk, the first well, ever there punk? There was a story about yeah, um, uh, the Velvet Underground Nico, and he sold ten thousand copies, yeah. and everyone that right. bought those ten thousand so copies went and joined a band. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> yeah. I think, I think uh, right. Iggy was one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Totally, and he was uh, it was performance art. I mean, what yeah. Iggy Pop was doing, yeah, um, and the in, fact, in the late sixties yeah. on stage well, was fact, the catalyst. He invented stage diving for one. He thing. invented I mean, stage yeah. dive. Yeah, he still yeah. looks great, Iggy Pop, doesn't he? You know, when you yeah. see him with his top off, and that, he looks yeah. fantastic. He, he's yeah. just done this commercial with his father, and it's um, advertising this. Uh, uh, lime soda soft drink mm. and Iggy Pop says I've done everything in my life I've done everything I've taken cocaine I've taken heroin I've hung out with models in uh, Paris yeah. but there's still one thing I can't do and that's drink this drink with my father um, and then the video shoots into uh, Iggy Pop with his father who's still alive really and his father's still alive he must be 90 something and uh, they crack open this this uh, lime soda drink uh and Iggy can't drink it. That's that's the catch. That's that's just it's like I've done everything, but I just can't drink this shit. Yeah. Um, I don't so he has good genes. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, Fuck it all. But I, I think yeah, I think I think Iggy Pop was uh, the pioneer of punk in a lot of ways. I think Lou Reed mm. was as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that Lower East Side New York scene. Yeah. You know when when Burroughs was in the bunker and. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. CBGBs and all that kind of stuff. It's really good music. Yeah. It's really healthy. Max's Kansas City. Max's Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I, I always thought that it was that it originated in the UK. Maybe because I'm yeah. biased because I'm from there. Yeah. I always thought it was Margaret Thatcher and you know yeah. them kicking against the shit and mm. you know and Vivian Westwood and Malcolm all that McLaren kind of stuff. Malcolm that. McLaren. So maybe, yeah. maybe that's the plastic version of Pug and Rock. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Uh, it's like. Uh, well, maybe Malcolm McCarran actually. Well, the funny thing is, he was the New York Dolls' last manager, right. And got them to dress up in red vinyl and play in front of a communist flag oh, to incite this kind of riot, and it virtually destroyed their career. <laughs> so he went back to England. He had that sex shop, but he had an idea for a kind of British version of the New York Dolls, right. And that's kind of how he started the Sex Pistols, mm. you know, from his shop that he had with Vivian Westwood yeah. and everything, but. I think the difference was in the UK, there was so much violence, too. And, you know, Steve Jones swearing on the BBC. And, mm. you know, that was that whole that headline. Famous interview, The Filth yeah. and the Fury, which is yeah. maybe the documentary about him. And then, you know, Sid Vicious overdosing and supposedly killing his girlfriend, which is still widely disputed. It could have been a drug dealer. But, you know, there was just so, so much sensationalism from England. And the safety pins and stuff that mm. was specifically UK or did in spitting on the bands and that wasn't so the uk scene kind of eclipsed a lot of the american scene because they were getting way more headlines mm. but the ramones said we didn't want to be associated with it anymore because their djs wouldn't play it they thought it was too radical mm. and they didn't want to have the bands on air so in some ways they did kind of spoil that scene you know yeah and in a way it's weird to think that Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious were, were basically styled, weren't they? And they were basic. They're like boy. I mean, it's yeah. like you know, McLaren and, and Westwood were like Simon Cowell and you know some other dickhead I, I from think, today. I think you Johnny know. Rotten or John Lydon uh, wrote those songs. 
Yeah. And uh, he, yeah. was, he was really That's young right. at yeah. the time. Yeah. He was mm-hmm. like 19 or 20 when he yeah. wrote those songs. And uh, yeah. he, he had, uh, as a child, uh, he was in a coma, wasn't he, for a, a yeah. six months or a year. Yeah. Uh, he had... Uh, 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 That's right, some kind of weird disease that kept him bedridden. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Spinal anyway, meningitis? Meningitis is yeah. what he had, yeah. 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 Uh, but he wrote those lyrics, and those lyrics are really clever Yeah, uh, for a 19 or 20-year-old yeah. to write. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Glenn. He was totally manipulated by yeah. McLaren and uh, Vivian. Mm. Uh, and but he probably didn't see a lot of money from those uh, record oh, deals yeah, they had to sue Malcolm for years after that, you know? Mm. But also, yeah, because I've had that argument with people, too, go, well, weren't the Sex Pistols kind of a prefabricated boys band? But as James said, yeah, Johnny wrote his own lyrics, and the music a lot of it was written mm. by Glenn Matlock, really, really, uh, the original bass player who Sid Vicious replaced, because mm. Glenn Matlock had said in an interview, I like the Beatles, so they allegedly threw him out of the group <laughs> because of that. <laughs> But, you know, they wanted somebody like, you know, I guess Sid was kind of the James Dean of punk, even though he couldn't really play, but it sort of finished off the band in a way, mm. so. Awesome. Submission. But, yeah, right. Submission, Submission is a serious track, isn't it? Probably yeah. Probably the best one. From or the, Bodies, about bodies abortion, well. yeah. and, and that, you know, or Anarchy in the UK, or God Save the Queen, you know? I was watching one of their reunion clips from a couple of years ago. I think they're playing at the Brixton Academy. Mm. And the audience shots are just incredible. you got these 20-year-old kids who know every single line in yeah. God Save the Queen and Anarchy. They're still pretty relevant on in the UK. Well, no, I mean, in the sort of post-Brexit area, you think. And the, the anger, the hostility, and, you know, the kind of rallying cry in God Save the Queen at the end, no future. And mm. I think that's how a lot of kids feel. You grow up that. So a lot yeah, of and we've grown up with are, Coldplay and yeah. radio. Yeah, and with Brexit well, radio now. And, too uh, yeah, a lot of kids feel they've kind of at a dead end, the millennials it's just so and that. so progressive um, yeah. for society, for mm. For a bunch of musicians to stand up and say that, yeah. you know, it, it should right. be happening in other places around the world. Yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, I I think we see it nowadays a little bit more in more with black artists like grime and yeah. you know like yeah. hip hop and mm. stuff. They're they're the punks of, of today. Are. There's yeah. no there white was, kids there, there really was, doing there was something it. Something recently here, wasn't yeah, there? The whole, which we probably can't talk about. Yeah. But, uh, right. 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 But the whole, yeah, why, why you're right, about? though, but the whole <laughs> political side of punk, the protest songs, is completely gone. The mall mm. punk era, it's just self-indulgent, you know, emo-type stuff. You know, emo, it's just yeah. whiny, narcissistic yeah. shit. <laughs> it's like a series of selfies, you know, or people who make videos of themselves for YouTube. That's what it But there's no kind of political content. There's really very much substance. So hence, I like that term, mall punk Mm. That's where, but you're right, you know, a lot of the black artists are grime. They're still running about life on the streets yeah, or, right. or the streets, you know, that, that the streets, yeah, me, yeah. Original pirate material. Did, right? Yeah, there's he way more. Life on the streets. Yeah. Mike Skinner was yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we'll ever see someone like him again. He was, he was mm. a tour de force, man. I yeah. loved him. Loved him. How far Do you have we? how many days in Bangkok, Jim, before? It's three Wednesday. Day, down to my last three days. But like I said, we'll be coming back. Are you going to miss the future? Oh, there's certain aspects of it. What will you miss about it? I mean, first and foremost, the kooky, cool eccentrics. 
I'm including you guys in that, by oh, the thank way. You. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, no, it's just what you get to miss. Yeah, it's, 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 well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the street food, just the street markets. Yeah, it's very, very vibrant that way. A lot of Canada America now looks like a strip mall divided by a residential area divided by a strip yeah, a mall. sidewalk that's with used the same to commerce. Franchises. Like, that. Yeah, exactly. That's why I do kind of like the frenetic uh, aspect of life on it. in Asia, you know, so Just getting Asia shit done general. here is easy, isn't yeah. it? Like, there's no, there's not much bureaucracy, there's not much red tape, all right? There's a lot of paperwork in, yeah. in certain situations, but if you want to do something and, you know, you can pay someone a couple of hundred baht or something, you can get it done. That's yeah. what I like. And if you get caught, you know... You've had a couple of beers, and the police catch you. You can give them a couple hundred baht and walk away. And mm. you know, in America, yeah. it's life over, isn't it? DUI, you you yeah. gone, you you That's fucked. Right. And yeah, they put that on your passport now. Yeah, it's and you can't travel to. My wife was telling me, yeah, yeah you get a DUI. Can, yeah. yeah, it's fucked up, man. And you can kind of uh, recreate yourself in the east as well. You could be a you yeah. could be a writer yes. or a filmmaker right. or a podcast host or uh, yeah. a chef <laughs> yeah. or you know a bartender right. or kind of whatever yeah. there, there right. seems to be less restrictions here to yeah well that's true you can dabble in a lot more fields i think yeah. and back home mm. you're kind of rooted into one career path and that's what you follow to work your way up that ladder and everything whereas here you can do multiple things really mm. and get involved with all sorts of projects that you I mean, who would have thought, you know, Chris would call us up to host this ghost documentary. (laughs) Right. Mm. Yeah, exactly, you know. But at the same time, after 26 years here, a lot of the bizarre becomes a bit banal, quite frankly. Oh, another python hiding in a toilet has bitten another (laughs) man on the buttocks. Okay, I've heard that before. Another, (laughs) you know, witch doctor. Give me a rattlesnake. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so after 26 years, I think you kind of pass your uh, sell-by date. And I'm just... I'm anxious to explore more places in the Southwest states, but also Mexico, Latin America. Those are whole new fronts. You're in a, you're, you're going to a decent spot. Yeah. There's going to be a lot and, of adventure you for know, you. No shortage of weird or cool stories to cover in those yeah. areas and everything. So I'm looking forward to that, but definitely we'll be coming back to Bangkok in yeah. the future and hopefully doing some more stories and books along the way. I hope so, man. Yeah. 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 It's been great to meet you today. And what a Dude, I'm, I'm just, this is why I love doing this podcast, because I, I otherwise I wouldn't get to meet people like Jim and, yeah. and you, James, and yeah. yeah, so it's cool to do, man, and uh, we're, you know, we've done 55 minutes in this second half really? already, uh, yeah, okay. it goes really quick, doesn't it, when, <laughs> when like, the conversation well, starts flowing, yeah, yeah. it's been yeah, fucking that's cool, it, yeah. I've really, really loved this, man. I've really loved yeah, it. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you for coming on, Jim. Fascinating yeah. person, yeah. Jim Algy. Uh, yeah, Jim Algy. James uh, interesting person in Bangkok. And Mickey. Leaving us. <laughs> where, where, where can people get hold of you, Jim, if, if they want uh, to and buy your books and shit? And check out my website. It's www.jimalgy.club. Uh, and then got an Amazon page with all the books listed. So it's J-I-M-A-L-G-I-E. That's right. Yeah, yeah. dot club. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
nice but, one uh, hey thanks for having me on yeah it's hey, been no really fun not. you know and uh, yeah. if you can get any of your old uh, buddies uh, authors yeah. hippies yeah. whatever to come on our show yeah yeah we, we i said it all yesterday that's another cool thing about bangkok the circle of expats here is kind of small it's not like in london if you were trying to work your way into the writer yeah. circle there uh, that you know there's a whole kind of hierarchy in that but here it's very mm. easy to meet people and that, for that reason, you know, I mean, for a podcaster like yourself, it's great. Uh, yeah, and, and I think yeah. if you've made your way to Bangkok from another country, you're already a little bit interesting. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you've already got a right. little bit of something that those guys at home haven't got because you've made the move and you've, yeah. you've, you've, right. you know, you've taken right. on I mean, the adventure. If, you, if you're living in... Uh, London, and you want to meet uh, Martin yeah. Amos, you know, he's going to tell you to fuck, up, fuck right off. Yeah. Uh, but right. if you're living in Bangkok yeah. and you want to meet Christopher Moore, he'll yeah. say, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, join me on Tuesday for, for lunch, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a nice, uh, like, closed... Buy me a beer, Chang, and yeah. I'll give you half an hour. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very open kind of artistic environment in, yeah, in Bangkok. Definitely. Is, yeah, That's what's nice about it. Yeah. James? Where can people get hold of you, mate, if they want to uh, if they want to look you up? Well, as I said before, I just wander down Sukhavit Road sometimes and <laughs> people can uh, grab me from the street. But, uh, right. Uh, on Facebook. James A. I, I Newman. Do, I do social media. Yeah. yeah. I do social media. All right. And you uh, can buy your books, right? Yeah. They can, uh, do people buy books? <laughs> I don't think people buy books anymore. Uh, but if, if, if they wanted to, they probably could. Right. Yeah. Okay. So check him out on on Amazon or give him a call and he'll send you a copy. Yeah, it's what people normally do is they, they send me a message on Facebook and they ask to meet me to give them free books. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that's what normally happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. kind of a form of philanthropy now or charity <laughs> than anything else than a genuine vocation. But, yeah. but it's a term of insanity. It's yeah. repeating the same... Yeah. Uh, activity exactly. expected a different Good outcome. outcome. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what writing novels is yeah. all about. Yeah. Uh, we we write articles which we get paid well for, uh-huh. uh, but writing a novel is something that uh, really doesn't sell particularly well at the it's moment. A labor of love. Yeah, but it's just such yeah. an enjoyable activity. Well, yeah, you got singled out on our website for one of the travel stories of the year recently, which I reposted. Right. I mean, you saw yeah, that and, accolade. Uh, yeah. That was very cool. Really? Top yeah. travel writer. Yeah. Now. yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, nice. But I that. do that for fun. I, I, I yeah. totally enjoy that. And mm. it pays well as well. But Yeah. Um, so how do you do that? Sorry, if, if, if I, can I, could I go and write an article for someone if I wanted to? Or do you have to be in demand? I think I got approached. Yeah, you normally you just have to pitch them through their website. They'll have something for submissions. Just send them right. like a story proposal, like kind of a rundown of what you want to write about. And yeah. don't write up the whole thing first to see if they're interested. And then send if they them. aren't, you move yeah. on to the next editor. That's kind of the process. Right. So. But I think the thing with the arts generally, and I was speaking to a filmmaker last night in uh, Fatty's Diner, um, and he was saying as well, you have to do a lot of stuff for free. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. You have to do like get your two name years of writing stuff for free. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know. Um, it's like uh, being a musician uh, the, the like, or a the, DJ. The documentary, we, yeah. we kind of turned up, we did that for free, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You get to a point where you've done so much for free that people actually feel it's worth mm. investing in you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Or you got enough of a track record to get hired, you know, yeah. for that, mm. build a bit of a name for yourself. And then you can send them links to your other stories. Or yeah. if you've done a mini documentary, the YouTube link. And, so that that's really kind of your CV. Well, when now. I was playing in bands yeah. in the UK, we used to have to pay sometimes to play. Yeah, yeah I know yeah. that whole phenomenon <laughs> started after I'd left the business. I couldn't believe yeah, you'd it. Hi- I remember mm. playing in bands and hi- hiring equi- the equipment. Yeah, you know, mm. I'd, I'd, I'd hire the amplifiers. Um, Madness. Right. The venue wouldn't charge, but they'd give you free beer yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, but yeah. you ended up actually. At a loss, you know, yeah. you, you, you'd buy the, you'd hire the equipment, turn up, play a gig, yeah, hoping that uh, you know, right, you'd, you'd make enough just to pay your expenses, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, on that note, should yeah. we make a consensus to now yeah, go and get loaded in the bar downstairs? Yeah, let's go. Yeah, Jim's last day in Bangkok, but in, ca- or last day out drinking anyway, so we should. Can I just do some housekeeping? Yeah. Okay, you can catch us uh, at thisstrange.life on the interweb. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter and Instagram at strangelifethis. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at CryptoMickey. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's been awesome. Cheers, Jim. Jim cheers, James. Thanks, uh, guys. It's been great. And we'll see you next week, guys. Thank Peace you, and love. Uh, and we'll go out, Jim, with one of my tracks, uh, yeah. Juma, Icons, and you'll hear it when you listen back to the episode alright peace out bye bye
icons, fuck the icons. Icons should be icons, shoot the icons, fuck the icons. Icons should be icons, shoot the icons, fuck the icons. Icons should be icons, shoot the icons, fuck the icons. <laughs>